0: you. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. And you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to City Church, guys. Uh, My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to to have you gathering with us today in person and online on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, Hey, put your hands together again for Maddie for doing the welcome in the middle of... um, It's just been a heavy week, right? And uh, I forgot how rocking that intro video was. (laughs) So I was like, man, this is... Not the tone that I'm coming in at, but uh, listen, I don't know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey. Uh, No matter where you are today, you're loved, safe, and welcome in person, online. We're glad that you're here. Um, But we also just want to take some time to sit in the space of the reality of of the world that we're living in, the the tragic events of this last week. And so I I don't know about you, um, but the heaviness just, it doesn't seem to stop, right? The the brokenness and the pain that we see in our world. And so we're going to create multiple moments in this service uh, to pray and to kind of reflect and sit um, over just the events of, of this week, um, but, but hopefully we get to more than just thoughts and prayers, um, that we actually are a church that lives on mission with Jesus in this world, um, bringing the kingdom of God and his love to those uh, that don't have it yet. And so we have candles on stage just to honor um, the, the space, guys. It's been um, really, really hard and culminating. And so we have um, everything going on in Ukraine for the last couple of months, Uh, We have the shooting in Buffalo, we have the shooting in California, and then we have the shooting in Texas, all just compounding. And for for many of us in the room, I asked one of my friends this week, I said, hey, like, when when you're showing up at a gathering, like, what what is the felt need in your heart? And the response was, I don't really, I don't really know. And I'm like, man, me too. (laughs) And I'm supposed to lead us. (laughs) I'm like, what? What do we do with the space? And so there's anxiety and there's fear and there's frustration that comes with the weight of, of the world that we're living in. There's a numbness that, that we wish wasn't there, but quite frankly, it, it shows up, doesn't it? There, there's an apathy that almost seems easier to put our heads down, to not look at a news feed, to not pick, pick up Instagram, just to, to try to remove ourselves from the bombardment of not only opinions but heaviness and weight. There's confusion that enters in. And so on top of all of that, on top of world events, you just have normal life, right? Like you you have relational tension and you have kids and work and school and and summer and all of these things. And and it's just a lot sometimes on top of the fact that we're walking through a, a mental health crisis that is not necessarily going anywhere anytime fast. And we talked a little bit about that last week. And so the question that, that I've been wrestling with all week and that I just want to invite you into, I'm in this with you, is what do we do with all of this? Um, and, you know, James, the brother of Jesus, he, he, he said that faith without works is dead. Me- meaning that a faith that doesn't move us to action, it's, it's useless. And, and I think that's a really big felt need. And even for my non-Christian friends, that's the biggest rock that they have to throw at, at Jesus followers in the church um, in, in kind of the last you know, decade is this separation of what you say you believe and how you live. And so you and I, we, we can't afford to slip into apathy and, and numbness. But we probably also shouldn't just go blast all of our opinions on social media and then blast people with differing opinions and make enemies out of others and act like that's going to bring about any progress. I asked one of my neighbors who's not a follower of Jesus this week, just checking in on her, hey, how, how are you doing? How are things going? And... Um, the, the felt weight of everything going on and and you know she's in the same place as we are but at the same time she's like man you know something needs to change but then the question that she had was but 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 is it will it is there any hope and so we start a new series today that i believe is going to speak into our situation through the book of Nehemiah over the next 13 weeks, and so we're just going to walk through this together in our summer series, um, but I, in order to be sensitive to just the, the, the space that we're sitting in, I, I need to set up kind of the conversation, and then we'll get into, back into, if you will, the, the, the space that we're showing up in. Is that okay? You guys with me on that? Not that you have a choice, but uh, that's what we're going to do. Um, so, so a couple of quick things. If you, got, if you got your journal on the way in, awesome. Take notes in that. Um, if you didn't, uh, there's a few extras in the lobby as well. They're five bucks, just a journaling Bible through the book of Nehemiah. But I want to give you just a quick intro because I believe how we set this up is going to inform how you and I respond and leave this place today. So the book of Nehemiah is actually originally combined into two books, Ezra and Nehemiah in your Old Testament. Were or originally one book and um, they're split into two in your Old Testament now and we're going to be walking through the book of Nehemiah over the next 13 weeks. But just to give you context, I'm just going to give you the the super short version. Um, Ezra was basically like a Bible nerd who, you know, was trying to get people to take the scripture seriously and to follow God and his ways in that space. And then Nehemiah shows up alongside him on the heels of Ezra's reforms, basically as a project manager. Um, And he shows up coming from a foreign country to rebuild the, the destruction of Jerusalem. The walls are torn down. The city has been sacked. They're in exile. And so I, I give you that just to frame up who we're talking about. Ezra, the the, the Bible nerd, and Nehemiah, the project manager. And... How you and I view the Bible determines how, how we look at these two individuals in these two books. And so if the Bible, if you approach, and I don't know your background with the Bible and the church and Christianity and all those things, but if you and I approach the Bible as primarily moral instruction literature, which is how a lot of people think about it, like it's rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts, rules and regulations, that that kind of space. If that's all it is, then our goal when we come to something like Nehemiah is just to turn that story into some kind of application. Normally it's like leadership literature. Uh, the problem when we do this, with especially like Old Testament books and even some of the New Testament uh, uh, authors who are not Jesus, the Bible characters that you and I look at, most of them, all of them, they are deeply flawed. They're, they're at times ambiguous in their entire lifestyle, and then quite frankly, they're just a totally mixed bag of successes and failures, kind of like you and me. <laughs> so so, so when you and I come to the scriptures, like if we're looking at Nehemiah as this Marvel superhero, it's a big, big letdown because that dude does not deliver. Just spoiler alert, at the end of Nehemiah, the dude loses his stuff and is like beating people up and pulling out their beards, okay? Not exactly leadership lessons 101. So As you and I get into this book, the the good news is Nehemiah captures a story for you and I of someone who has a burden for God. He's passionate about helping others. He he wants others to catch this vision for the good life that God invites us into. He's full of love for God and devotion. And at the end of the story, all of his work doesn't it doesn't pay off. It doesn't work out. There's not real change. And so Nehemiah and many of the other Old Testament books that we look at, they offer a sobering story for you and I of leaders who simply cannot bring about the full realization of their hopes and dreams, even though they tried their hardest and prayed like crazy. Anybody encouraged yet? So, so what I want you to do is go watch this, this video. It's actually on our website from the Bible Project, a little intro to Nehemiah, super helpful, well-illustrated, way better than I can do it um, in, in a small amount of time, but I, it's on our website for you to go check out on your own time. But just a reminder, okay, as, as we look into Nehemiah, we talked on this a couple of weeks ago, um, that scripture serves as an alternative story. You and I are being formed in the stories that we live out. In fact, the events of this last week, this last month, the last couple of months, those are all forming a story and how you and I perceive our lives and the story we're living in determines how we respond in the middle of that. And so we talked about how the scriptures offer us an alternative story to live into that then influences how you and I live. And so the Bible is not moral instruction literature only, but rather it's a bigger definition. This is what we were working with for spiritual formation over the last couple of weeks. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. That's the point. Nehemiah ends on a bummer and leaves us hanging because it's meant to give us a felt need for something more and it always points us back to Jesus. Tim Keller gives us this quote that I think is super helpful. We normally read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. It is not. It is not. Rather, it it comprises a single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition and how God through Jesus Christ has come and will come to put things right. Isn't there something in your heart and mind that longs for that last line? In light of the events of this last week, to put things right, even if you don't believe it, There's probably something inside of you that wishes that it was true. And so as far as the story and the timeline of Ezra and Nehemiah, I want you to know that as we enter into this book, if we were in the shoes of uh, the people of Israel at this time, we would be full of anticipation and hope. Because there's been promises of God of restoring Israel, that they were in rebellion against God, their city got sacked, they're exiled into foreign nations, and so there's this hope of God restoring these people back to what they once were. There's this coming kingdom of God that they've heard about over and over again. And so as we enter into the pages of Nehemiah, there's a hope that's not going to be delivered on. And so throughout Nehemiah, you and I are going to experience, uh, we're going to see his experience tell the truth of the human condition over and over again. That apparently the consequences of their actions cannot accomplish transformation of the heart. Bad stuff happened, they got exiled, and still nothing changes at a heart level. There's still this deep need for change of the human disposition. And so Israel's problem before the exile, before they got sacked, was a hard heart toward God and neighbor. And after they're restored and after Nehemiah rebuilds the walls, their problem is the same. A hard heart. And so in Nehemiah, I don't want you to miss this because this informs what we're talking about today. In Nehemiah, we're going to see over the next 13 weeks a people restored physically, but not spiritually. This is the tension that we we find ourselves in, right? And, And listen, remove the events of the world around us and the things that you and I try to change over and over again inside ourselves, the things that we just wish were different and we continue to fail over and over again, this speaks to the human condition and disposition that there has to be help from the outside, And so the stories that we see here, they give us hope, they give us inspiration to keep pointing people to God's grace. Nehemiah is not a total downer. There's absolutely good things in there for us to learn from. But it also is a sobering reminder of of the reality of the flawed human condition. And and that our our efforts are constantly met with with kind of this tension and friction. And so Nehemiah, he leaves us wanting at the end of of this book. So get ready for an entire depressing summer. It's going to be great but but for good reason because we see Jesus enter the scene And his entire message is around this good news of the kingdom of God, the entire felt need of the people of Israel, the entire felt need of the world that you and I are living in. Jesus shows up on the scenes proclaiming as good news. We see him teaching it and proclaiming it because it's so different, so radical, so upside down to anything anyone has ever thought of that it takes lots of explanation for people to get it in their heads and hearts. And so listen, if you just want a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like functionally as Jesus' followers today Go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 this week. Just go read Jesus' teachings on the kingdom of God. And what we're talking about is this already... Ooh, that could be a bad thing. There's a candle. You guys don't let me catch on fire, okay? The already not yet reality of the kingdom of God is what we're talking about. It's felt in Nehemiah. And then when Jesus shows up, he begins to introduce. He says, he would talk like this. The kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's present with Jesus. But then he would also talk about the kingdom of God as if it's coming. And so there's this already not yet reality that we live in of the kingdom of God being present, but there's still a a felt need and a brokenness that you you and I are not experiencing yet. And so Jesus taught his followers to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's your very brief intro to Nehemiah, okay, very incomplete. But for the sake of time, I want to fast forward to kind of the, the, the place that we're in of a felt need and the need for hope today. And so speaking of this already not yet reality of the kingdom of God, I'm going to land the plane later with that. But what I want to do is I want, I want to just read the words of Paul, who in Romans 8, I think captures beautifully the tension that you and I are feeling today. And, and I could have summarized this, but quite frankly, I, I think he does a better job than I could ever do. And so all we're going to do right now is kind of move into a space of, of quieting our hearts and minds. And so if you want to real fast, pull out you know your phone. I'm going to I'm going to light myself on fire, guys. This is a terrible idea. Remind me never to put candles behind me again. Just, I can't stay still. Romans 8, if you want to pull it out on your phone, it's going to be a pretty lengthy space. And um, I know we're not an oral culture, so what I'm going to invite you to do is to kind of get your head and your heart ready for this, to let Scripture as alternative stories speak over you. Listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is super, super helpful. If you're a Jesus follower, this is a reminder of our hope, but also the felt need. And so Romans chapter 8, we're going to be there in just a second, verse 18. There's Bibles in the, in the seat backs in front of you as well. You can use your, uh, your phone or you can watch on the screen. It'll be there too. But again, I, w- I want you to really slow down with me for a moment. Again, we're going to kind of come back to the felt need of, of this week. This already not yet. God, where are you in this? How, how, how many times do we have to walk through pain and suffering? is there anything we can do about it? All of those things and more. I think Paul allows us to sit in. So let these words sit over you. Listen for key words. Let your heart and your mind absorb what we're about to read, and then we're going to um, move on from there. But Romans chapter 8, okay? Verse 18. We're going to read it slowly. And keep in mind, as Paul is writing this, this is first century Jesus followers. There is no democracy. They have no power over legislation. There is no let's change a rule and make life better for people. This is terrible Roman government rule over their lives, being persecuted for their faith, murdered for following Jesus, hiding to follow Jesus, and still living on mission and changing the world. This is the context of Romans 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he, being God, will reveal to us later. Doesn't feel like that, does it? For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He goes on in verse 23. And we also groan. That's the only word that I could think of this week. My spirit has just been groaning. All week. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. As a foretaste of future glory. There's that already not yet Peace, right? For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Including the new bodies he has promised. We were given this hope when we were saved, when we trusted in Jesus. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, then we have to wait patiently and confidently. He goes on. And the Holy Spirit, He helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't don't know what God wants us to pray for. That's a space you've been in all week? How do I pray for this? How do I pray for the almost 20 children that lost their lives and the families that are being affected? God, I don't know. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know, here's the confident hope, in the middle of this already not yet reality. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He goes on. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. He's talking about the transformation that we have through faith in Jesus, of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then being able to do what he did. It takes that process. Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Friends, listen, if God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? He he is intimately acquainted with suffering. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. He goes on. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean, friends, listen, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute in danger? or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep, verse 37. No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, Paul says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of darkness can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to invite Daniel to come up, and as he's coming up, I hope, I hope these words offer you comfort. And you might need to revisit this passage over and over again this week and read these words and highlight and under, underline and meditate and memorize the hope that Paul has here in the middle of immense suffering for something more. So this is our hope. This is our tension, a deep groaning for something more an already not yet reality. And so I asked Daniel to sing the song that he's about to sing because I believe it speaks beautifully to the space that we're sitting in this week. I want you to listen. You're probably not going to know this song, but I want you to listen. I want you to pray. I want you to absorb. I want you to contemplate the space of this next song. And and the context of this song is similar to Nehemiah. There's a guy in the Old Testament named Elijah. He's living, living in the already not yet reality of the kingdom of God and he, he's seeing God do amazing things, and now he's seeing his world fall apart. He's running for his life. He's full of anxiety. His mental health is crashing. He's hiding in a cave, and he's asking God to kill him. He's done. He's overwhelmed. Life is too hard, and in this space, we see God show up in a beautiful way, and this song is written out of that context. So I'm just going to invite you to get in the position of whatever's helpful for you. Lean forward, open your hands, close your eyes, and let the song serve you well.
1: great winds blew and the rocks tore loose, but I couldn't find you anywhere. And the earthquake came and the fire Closer than it's ever been, I can feel you so close, so, so close, when it feels like my world's the ground. You're the God who stays till the morning breaks and all of my fears go crashing down. Heaven's closer than it's ever been. I can feel you so. for suffering, remind me once again that you're enough. Speak into these empty lies, revive my heart, renew my life. Remind me once again that I'm enough. And I won't waste another breath. Fear of never, fear of death Even when I second guess your love Heaven's closer than it's ever been I can feel you so close So, so close I fall into your loving arms. I can feel you so close, so, so close, so close, so, so close. Every time I call, you come, you come running, running, every time I call, I call you come you come running running every time i call you come so so close
0: and thank you thank you daniel there's layers of hope that you and I need to hold on to. That song is by Brandon Lake. As um, I hope tool,s like Romans 8 and, and a song like that can serve you well as you contemplate what it means to, to be with Jesus and, and to become like Jesus and do what he did. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know, Jesus said that God is near to the broken heart. And Jesus made a way for you and I to have a relationship with God. He's, he's this comforter. It gives a peace that passes understanding and a hope that you and I can hold on to. And so heaven is closer than it's ever been. This is the reality of the kingdom of God. Heaven is closer than it's ever been. And I hope you find comfort in that. Um, part of, being, of heaven being closer than it's ever been is the gift of the Holy Spirit that Paul talked about. This reality of, of through faith in Jesus, God making us home in our hearts. But the other part of heaven being closer than it's ever been is you and I as Jesus followers living out this new reality of the kingdom where we live, work, and play in the world around us. And so Jesus would show up on the, scenes, on the scene and he would say, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here and now. And he's inviting us to rethink everything we think we know it means to be human and to turn and embrace this new reality, this new way to love and to live and to think and to believe and engage in our, in our world around us. And all the while, as we're invited into that space, creation and our hearts are groaning with this already-not-yet tension. So let me give you this quote from Dallas Willard. You guys got that on the screen? Dallas Willard, I think, summarizes this point very well. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs. That is a very, very bold and big statement in light of the events of the last weeks, and months. The greatest issue is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. This is where heaven meets earth. This is how heaven is so close. So how do we do it? That's how we're going to end our time today, because I, I, I think it's helpful to be comforted. It's helpful to, to sit in some of these spaces, but, but there's probably something inside of you that says, man, what do we do about this? Because something has to change. Things have to pivot, and what can I do. And so I think there's this beautiful passage that we can land on of heaven just crashing into earth with the scenes of Jesus and John 11. And I know this is kind of different from how we normally do a style of walking through a passage and, you know, kicking off Nehemiah, but this is the space that we need to be in today, okay? And so to end our time together, John 11, we see heaven and earth crashing together in this scene. Jesus shows up on the scene. Some of his closest friends and followers, Mary and Martha, their brother, has died and, and, and he's walking into just a tragic, grieving scene. And we see Jesus walk into this scene, and we see the space in John 11. Let me show you. Jesus shows up, and he asks the sisters, where have you laid him being Lazarus, Lazarus, the brother that died? And they said, come and see. And the next line, we see Jesus wept. One of the most important things that you and I can do for our city, for our neighbors, for our family, for our country, for the world around us, is to be present to God, ourselves, and to our neighbor. One of the most important things as a Jesus follower of living out the kingdom of God presently today is to be present to God, ourselves, and our neighbor. Jesus doesn't show up and fix it immediately, even though he is the one person who can fix it. And, and sometimes the, the gut reaction, depending on who you are on the Enneagram and, you know, your personality type, some of you are feelers and some of you are like, you know, the, the, the emotive gut-wrenching response of like, let's do something about that. And there's a place for that but the first thing Jesus does, he doesn't show up on the scene and fix it, but he weeps with those who weep. He enters into that space. And so being present to God, ourselves, and our neighbor is our first calling. You and I can't give what we don't have. Daily, intimately, time with Jesus gives us the space to love others well. We cannot give out of an empty bucket. Jesus invites us first into relationship with him, but then empowers us to love others well. The second thing is to be present to ourselves. You don't have to shove your emotions and ignore what's going on, but asking the hard questions and and, and inviting God and others into that space. That's why our city groups are so valuable, is inviting others to help process what's going on internally for you and I. Because Jesus would say first to love God and then to love your neighbor, what? As yourself. We can't separate those two things. And lastly, to be present to our neighbor. These are not priority. These are not Monday, take care of me and God. Tuesday, take care of myself. Wednesday, I can finally love my neighbor. If your neighbor has a need this afternoon, you should be there. This is our first responsibility. Jesus could have fixed it, but he entered into their pain. And so I just want to invite us, let's do the same. Let's not just try to fix it. Let's weep with those who weep. And listen, this is most certainly going to cost us to live this kind of life, it's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us mental and emotional energy. It's a calling to be a little less concerned about ourselves and our own careers and our own comforts and more concerned about God and neighbor. And Jesus says that's the space of this life that is truly life, to consider others more important than yourselves. The second thing we see here in verse 33 that Jesus um, um, response to is is when he sees Mary weeping, one of the sisters, and the Jews that had been there weeping with her, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And and echoing that same line, verse 38 says that he was troubled in spirit. And this might sound like an emotional moment for Jesus, and he did weep right before this, but the Greek here communicates that he was quaking with rage. Or this other word in Greek means to roar or snort with anger. That's not the picture you get when Jesus is mourning with his friends. I don't want you to imagine an angry Jesus. And this is where a lot of you and I enter into, is that shock and grief begins to give way to fear and then anger. Something has to change. Something has to be done. And these emotions pointed in the right direction can be very valuable. And so the second thing we have to learn to do is we've got to point our anger in the right direction. Don't let it go. Don't let apathy creep in, but don't let it be misaligned, right? What does Jesus not do? He doesn't show up and point his anger at God. He doesn't show show up and demonize others for their actions or their lack of activity. He focuses his rage on death itself. Jesus is broken about death itself, the human condition and the curse on humanity, the very thing that he came to give his life to redeem. He is angry at the tomb, the very thing he will win over and overcome. Jesus says, I'm going to turn this death into a resurrection. I'm going to bring something even better out of this incredible loss and pain. And friends, this is the good news of the kingdom that you and I get to live out, that out of the cross comes a resurrection. Out of weakness comes strength. Out of repentance and, and admitting that we're weak comes real power. Out of giving away and serving others comes real strength. Out of generosity and giving our money away comes real wealth. This is the story that we're invited into. So what do we do with this already not yet reality? We take our anger and we point it in the right direction, and it should move us to action. It should move us to love our neighbor. We live in a democracy. It should inform how you vote. It should inform how you love your neighbor. But it's not just that we look at our enemies and throw rocks. We acknowledge that the events of this last week were completely evil. Completely evil. But we're not here to throw rocks at organizations or politicians or individuals. Something has to change. And something can change. If you and I catch the vision and point our anger in the right direction, what if we grow together as a community, as a people with a heart for God? What if we together come around heaven meeting earth, locally, nationally, and globally? What if we grow as individuals and we grow wiser as a country? That we join Jesus in the prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done and then we go live as citizens of that kingdom. This should influence our pursuits, how we spend our money, how we love our neighbor, how we pursue justice, how we love the marginalized. We can't separate these two. Point your anger in the right direction. There are things that are undone and Jesus has intention to use you and I to make them right. So we're in this tension. I got to live with my life and my heart wide open and then I've got to point my anger in the right direction. That's really hard to do. So here's the last thing that we need in order to keep all this together. Let me show you in verse 25. We see that Jesus responds to Mary in the middle of her heartache. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asks this question that you and I all need to consider. Do you believe this? Jesus does not say, if you trust in me, someday I'm going to take you all away from all of this. Jesus does not say, if you believe in me, I'm going to take you to a wonderful paradise where your soul can forget any of this ever happened. I don't want a place like that right now. I want justice in the present. I don't want to forget it. I want to fix it. And so you and I are living in this tension to deal with what has been lost And what we're groaning about. Jesus does not offer consolation. He offers resurrection. This is really important. The last thing. We have to remember our hope. And we have to live with our hearts wide open to others. Jesus doesn't meet us and offer his consolations or or condolences. But he says that he's going to give us a resurrection. Tim Keller, listen to this definition. says a resurrection means that Jesus says, I have come not to take you out of earth to heaven, but to bring the power of heaven down to earth, to make a new heaven and a new earth and to make everything new. Jesus says, I'm going to restore everything that was lost and it will be a million times better than you can imagine. This is the power of my future and my kingdom, the power of the new heaven and the new earth, the joy and the wholeness and the health and the newness that will come, the tears that will be wiped away, the suffering and death and disease that will be wiped out, the power of all of that will change everything. Everything is going to be made better. Everything is going to be made right. Everything bad is going to become untrue to live with our hearts wide open, is to hold on to this hope that Jesus gives life now and forever. And you and I have to hold on to that hope, and we have to share that hope. We have to live with our hearts wide open to offer that hope to the world around us. That doesn't mean door knocking and asking someone if they believe in Jesus. That means checking on your neighbor and having them over for a meal. I challenged you last week, to have one meal with someone that you you don't know their story, they're maybe disconnected or far from God. I challenged you two weeks ago to invite one person to City Church. Have you done it? We're invited to live on mission, and we cannot let apathy and distraction and the American dream get in the way of the reality of God working the kingdom in and through us. This is our calling, friends. So as we wrap up our time, I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a few songs to close our service. I'm going to invite the the band to come, and as they get ready, I'm just going to create some space for us to pray and reflect, okay? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Um, As you bow your heads, as you close your eyes, this is just a moment of reflection and response for you, a moment of privacy in your own heart and mind. To reflect on maybe what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your heart and mind today. As you reflect just internally, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about the action steps. And where the Holy Spirit is moving your heart. What does it mean to be a citizen of this new kingdom? To live into this new reality where we live, work, and play? As you're reflecting in your own heart and mind, maybe you're you're not a follower of Jesus in the room and you're wrestling with faith and trying to figure out what you believe about this Jesus thing. And I want you to know today, friends, no matter where you're walking in, Paul's words are echoing for us. The evidence of God's love for you and me is in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. That the Son of God would take on our suffering. He would take on and meet us in the space of our biggest brokenness and our deepest brokenness. He would live a life without sin and yet fully enter into our anguish and pain. He would come to restore not physical comforts, but a hard heart. A heart that is hard toward God, a heart that is hard toward neighbor, a heart that is even hard toward self. Jesus came and he gave his life and he was buried and he rose again, proving that he was who he said he was, proving the love of God for humanity and making a complete, accessible way into relationship with God. And Jesus gives his life and pays the debt that you and I owe so that you and I can come freely into relationship with God. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't live moral, obligatory lives in order to get God to be happy with us. We simply trust in the work of Jesus. His death, his burial, his erection was my death. He died for my sin in my place so that I could have new life. He did it for me, he'll do it for you. And the hope that we have is not a destination, it's a person. It's a relationship with Jesus that changes everything today and forever. It is a hope of this already not yet tension of heaven coming to earth in our own hearts and minds and being lived out functionally every day of our lives until Jesus makes all things new. It is a hope that we can embrace and it is a hope that we can share. And friends, if you're in the room and you have never given your life to Jesus, I want you to know today you can do that with confidence, that your heart might be stirring today with God's love for you. Heaven is closer than it has ever been and your one decision away from entering into that relationship. There's no special formula, there's no special prayer, but to use the words of Jesus, it's simply to repent and believe, to change the way that I think about life and God and all the things in front of me and to agree with what Jesus says about what it means to have a relationship with God. And then to believe that Jesus was enough, that Jesus made a way and to ask Jesus to save us and set us free. And friends, in your own heart and mind, however you would respond and pray that prayer today, I want you to have confidence in your heart and mind as you say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Save me so I can walk with you. However you would say that, heaven explodes in rejoicing for you. And for those of us in the room that are followers of Jesus, heaven is leaning forward forward waiting to come to earth through you and I, in the way that we love our neighbor, the way that we pray for our politicians, the way that we lead change in our country. So Jesus, we ask you right now for help, to take the truths of today's conversation and to apply them in the various ways that they need to be applied in our lives. God, give us a humility to be reminded of the, the fragile broken human condition to put our hope not in ourselves and not in legislation alone but in you. But God, would it not stop there? Would we not land on pithy statements that go no further than our own hearts and minds, but would it transform the way that we use our words and our hands? Would it change how we love neighbor and friend and enemy? Jesus, your kingdom come in heaven as it is on earth. Would it be in bolder as it is in heaven? Jesus, we need your reign and your rule in our lives. We want it in our city. We want it in our families. We want it in our country. But we know that it happens first through our own hearts. So Jesus, help us to be the church. Help us to remember that we are the church. We exist for the world. And you have a desire to use us to saturate the world around us with your love. Help us to be present. Help us to have hearts of compassion. Help us to be filled with the right kind of anger and to point it in a direction that makes a difference. And Father, give us wisdom because we do not know all that we should do. We don't have all of the answers. We can't just show up and fix it. But we can be with you. We can hear from you. We can be present to ourselves. We can grow in community. And we can be the church and love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, thank you for this time. Do what you want to do with the rest of it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.